what's up everybody it's jason martinez time for a brand new edition of bet parks presents stick to hockey live what a big day got a lot for you today on the show too um big day that parks is live claude Giroux's 1000th game we'll see if it's his final game as a flyer at least in this tenure and also uh, a lot going on as we inch closer and closer to the nhl trade deadline so and eh, not much going on around here market really developing i think for justin braun as well so uh tons to get to on this episode of stick to hockey live and it's all presented by bet parks uh, the bet parks app is out it is brand new where the park sportsbook app was really good easy to navigate all the things i've been telling you for months now but the bet parks app how about better even better if it's possible so check it out download it and i gotta tell you about the bet parks app it's the casino and sportsbook is now live and take it from me our new bet parks app is everything you're gonna want in a mobile casino and sportsbook it's right in your pocket right on here right on your phone that's why clicks open and you can do everything very easily easy to sign up fun to use faster to win than even before you know you have the first version of the park sportsbook one which was really good but then they did a lot of work looking at that and going what can we improve what can we make better and the bet parks app does exactly that all bet parks users have the choice to either of either $20 casino bonus or $20 in a free sports bet that's existing users so make sure you get it download it if you don't have an account open up an account and you'll be good to go and it's real simple just put in B-E-T-P-A-R-X in your uh, app store, and you'll find it there. You do need to be over 21. You do need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. So pick up the, the, the Bet Parks app. I'm going to mess up probably a couple of times and still stay Park Sportsbook because it's not ingrained in me like Bet Parks is just yet, but it will be. Uh, so, again, check it out, download it, and get in on the action. Huge weekend, obviously, with all the hoops and uh, March Madness going on, kicking off today, tipping off, I should say. Uh, you got the NHL card tonight, and Tone will be along here on this episode with not one, not two, not three, but four monster plays uh, for you to put it on, put in on the Bet Parks app. And also, uh, we're going to get to Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com in just a second as well. Uh, but real quick, tonight, um, Claude Giroux's 1,000th game against the Nashville Predators. Very happy to say that. Not happy, but um, uh, honored, actually, to be on the color analysis on the radio broadcast tonight steve Coates unfortunately has an eye issue that he's dealing with i think like a detached retina and is unable to do the game tonight so yours truly will be uh the analyst along with tim saunders on play-by-play for what is a pretty historic game for the flyers only the second player to get to a thousand games played as a member of the flyers bob clark the only other one over 1100 games for him so uh, i'll be doing the normal pre and uh, post game and intermissions with Brian Smith, but also uh, on the radio call uh, alongside Tim Saunders for this game tonight too. And uh, real quick, last night because um, Coatsy had the eye issue, I got a call or a text yesterday afternoon saying, "Hey, what are you doing tonight at five thirty? Can you get to the skate zone um, because Eric Lindros is in town and we have a season ticket holder event, and we wanted to see if you could come by and, and host it and MC it and." So I went over to Voorhees uh, yesterday afternoon and got to hang with 88 last night, the Big E. He looks good. Um, and he will be in the building tonight. There'll be a lot of people. Terry Crisp will be in the building tonight. There'll be a lot of people, Claude's family. And uh, it's going to be a really, really uh, a big night at Wells Fargo Center for Claude Drew. I just need the team to play well on what is a very special night uh, for the captain. So, um you know, a lot going on with it with the deadline. You know, Tippett Owen Tippett was is going to be held out of the game tonight uh, in the AHL property of the Florida Panthers. Uh, it looks like that may be obviously a team where he may go. It could be Florida. It's kind of the one I've been saying all along that I thought that that's where he would end up with the Florida Panthers. We'll see if that is the case. You never know. At this point, too, this is one of those periods where you know the Abs could come back with an offer that they haven't presented to the Flyers yet, a new hook or something like that. And we'll, so we'll see how it plays out. Nothing's done till it's done. 
Uh, the deadline's not until Monday, but um, this could be the last game for Claude Giroux as a flyer. We'll see. Um, they play again tomorrow against Ottawa in Ottawa, so they'll be traveling to, traveling to uh, the Canadian capital tonight after the game. And then they have a game on Sunday. Who do they play on Sunday? Let me look at my trusty printed out schedule because I'm the only one that still prints it. Uh, Sunday's at home against the Islanders at two in the afternoon. So we'll see if he, if he's you know still on the roster for those games. Uh, but uh, it'll be a big night for the captain. And uh, I know that you know he he's obviously very conflicted in in you know accepting a trade. He doesn't want to leave. But he also is not oblivious to the situation and knows that uh, if he wants to go chase a cup this year, he's going to have to do it elsewhere. And uh, he's a competitor. So I imagine that uh, maybe tonight will probably be his last game as a flyer. And it'll be it's a big one for him. So uh, hopefully the team plays well tonight also. So a lot to get to here. Again, Tones Takes coming up on this edition of Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. And we've also got... Anthony DeMarco. He's our first guest here on the program today. So let's get to the business with Andy. Episode of the Stick to Hockey Live show presented by Park Sportsbook. You hear his work on Brotherly Pod. You read him on thefourthperiod.com. He's an NHL correspondent coming to us from the great white north. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me. Really excited to get into it today. How did you uh, come to get, get so much coverage of the Flyers being up there? Well, I started more so as a hobby way back when, when I was still in college. I kicked around on some independent platforms, some more fan-based websites. And then uh, I've been watching the Flyers religiously since I was about 13 years old. So going back uh, about, let's say, 2007 or so. And... Uh, Lo and behold, I got a, a tryout with the fourth period via the senior writer, Dennis Bernstein, and they made me the Flyers correspondent to start. And it worked out really well, and it kind of snowballed from there. I've been with them for four and a half years now. Uh, this summer will be five. And uh, over the course of, I would say, mostly the last 18 months or so, I've been able to make some headway and get more legitimacy and credibility behind my name and uh, lo and behold we are where we are today yeah working with db is always good and working with dave panyota who's appeared here on uh, stick to hockey as well dave's a great guy the website's fantastic it's the fourth period.com let's get into it though because there's a lot going on obviously deadline is coming up on monday it's i mean i remember going okay well it's eight weeks to the deadline and we're talking about <laughs> it already right and it was just so far off but that's not the case anymore Giroux is going to play his thousandth game uh, against Nashville and they play again on Friday. You think that he plays Friday for the Flyers against Ottawa. Uh, I mean, you start to see a little guy, some guys getting asset protected. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, right? Because Giroux to me, I still think it's far more likely that he gets traded, but like, I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't because I think it's fairly well documented at this point that he's not exactly itching to be moved. Mm -hmm. And Giroux is such a competitive guy and he has so much fire behind him that I don't know how it would sit with him to be sat out. And if he did get sat out, it was, it would be kind of like tipping his hand or the flyers tipping their hand that he was for sure going to get traded. That he so, I mean, the NMC. Pardon me? That he waived the no-move clause. Exactly. And it feels like the Flyers themselves, G himself, have been very reluctant to say definitively that he's going to go. Mm -hmm. Like, he is far and away the most, like, sought-after forward on the block this year. And, you know, we've heard that his name is out there, and we've heard teams tied to him. But it's still kind of like in a holding pattern. It's almost like there's been little to no development over the last month or so. And as you brought up, we're five days away from the trade deadline. So if I had to take a guess, I think he plays against Nashville. But this seems like a situation right now that between now and Monday, nothing would really overly shock me. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like I asked uh, James Van Riemsdyk and Scott Lawton about this on Tuesday when I was at the practice facility. He seems conflicted. And... You know, we obviously know he's been here. He's the longest tenured athlete in Philly. He's been here for 14 years, been the captain longer than anybody else. And I think sometimes that we look at it, we look at pro athletes and we go, 
well, these guys are just mercenaries. They come in like you see it in the in the NBA where guys go, I'm going to go here this year. Then no, I'm going to build a super team over here. So I'm going to go there. We see it in the NFL. Those leagues are far different. But he's been here so long. I mean, he came here as a kid. You know, now he's, you know, a, a grown up with a wife and a family and the whole thing. And, and he definitely seems conflicted. Yeah, well, it's because he's a guy who loves Philadelphia. And I think it's really bothered him that it hasn't been able to work here. I think it really irritates him that they've never really been able to find any form of playoff success since that 2012 year, which was, for all intents and purposes, the first year that he really became the face of this team. I know he wasn't the official captain until the following season, but after Pronger went down and Richards and Carter had moved on, it became Claude Giroux's team. And, you know, he's been so dedicated to this team. He's carried this team offensively on his back for the better part of seven, eight years now. And for it to kind of come to an end in the fashion that it has, presuming he does ultimately get traded, it for sure isn't exactly a great feeling for him. Yeah. Like three of the last four years have been unmitigated disasters for this team. And you could argue that this is the worst of the bunch. Like he said earlier this week, that this is the worst season he's had since being in Philadelphia. So, I mean, is it attractive to maybe go to a Carolina to play for a guy like Rod Brindamore, a team that's a heavy cup favorite at this point, maybe a team like the Florida Panthers for similar reasons, maybe the New York Rangers, because they are in such close proximity to Philadelphia geographic wise, the Colorado avalanche for obvious reasons as well. So I'm sure there's parts of him that wants to chase that cup because he is such a competitive guy. But at the same time, for the family reasons you've cited and for the emotional reasons that he just loves the team and the city of Philadelphia, it's very reasonable to come to the conclusion that he is very conflicted here. Yeah, I mean, one of the things he said after the Canadians game in that availability where you just alluded to it, this has you know, been the toughest season of his career. At the end of his at the end of his answer, he said, obviously, there's still some meeting and some things to talk about with management to see what the game plan is, not just for this year, but for the future. And that that quote really kind of jumped out at me. And I'm going, OK, because I, I believe that a version of that happened in the offseason because Sean Couturier was available to be extended heading into the final year of his deal. And at the end of the season last year, there was it was basically like, we'll see. And then all of a sudden we come to find out he gets a deal done after Chuck Fletcher made a lot of changes to the roster and within the organization, it was almost like he was sold. Okay. I'm going to move forward with the flyers. I think we can win here and I'm going to sign a deal that is not going to be so heavy money wise that you can't sign other players. And I think Giroux might be in this same camp, although I'm not sure if he's alluding to not getting traded now or the possibility of returning as a UFA. And because it's kind of been hinted, not definitively said that he may be interested in coming back, I think that's kind of made a lot of teams a bit more trepidatious about acquiring him. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if there's the potential for extending a guy, it obviously makes him more valuable, kind of like what we saw with Boston and Taylor Hall last year. No, that's not to say that Taylor Hall got was let's say went for a king's ransom of any sorts he kind of had buffalo over a barrel because he boston was the place he wanted to go but because we all knew that he wanted to be in boston beyond last season it made the bruins more i guess probably ambitious in their pursuit of him maybe a team like just for argument's sake the florida panthers because recently they've kind of been promoted as like the favorite landing spot are you going to give up a fair number of assets when you think it's almost a slam dunk that he's going to walk out the door at the end of the season? And that's not to say that teams will not have a stomach to just bring in a rental for a Stanley Cup push. But I think that when you know for sure it's a foregone conclusion, you may be more apt to just steer clear of it altogether. So, I mean, I think it, there is a part of this to the fact that Giroux might want to come back to Philly and the other flip of this is like how much of his heart will be in it with this new team. I personally don't think that will affect it at all. He's a very competitive guy. And I think if he makes the decision to go to a team for the spring playoff push, even if he wants to return to Philadelphia in the summer or next year, I don't think that he's the kind of guy that would let that get in the way. I think he would probably realize that 
this may be his best shot, if not only shot, to win a Stanley Cup for the rest of his life, or, or his playing career at least. So, I mean, I personally wouldn't be too scared about that on the Giroux front, but I could see how it may affect other teams' view on him. Yeah, as long as they plug in that big, shiny scoreboard and they keep score, he's going to be bought in and do everything he can to win. It's just the way he is. It, some of the guys were telling me, some of the players, that no matter what he does, like he wants to rip your eyeballs out, whether it's playing cards or ping pong or bocce, it doesn't matter. He's just one of those <laughs> uber competitive guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Carolina is a, is a spot and playing for Brindamore that, I mean, geez, that, imagine that team with him too. I mean, they're so good already. Aunt. I mean, that team to me, you look at where they rank in goals allowed, number one, top four in goals four. Uh, they're a team that has the best penalty kill and a really good power play. Like that's a team to me that's built for the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Like to me, Carolina has long made the most sense, not so much based on people I've spoken to, but more just because of all the points you just brought up, what this team may need. And also because of the assets that they have. Mm -hmm. Like I look at the amount of pieces and, you know, draft capital and we're not so much draft capital because they don't have a first round pick this year, but prospects that they could give up for Giroux. I think if every team in the mix stepped up with their best offer, Carolina could blow them all away, mainly because of the center prospects they have at their disposable. Yep. And at the top of that list is Jack Drury. Now, based on people I've spoken to, I don't know if the Hurricanes are too keen on parting with a guy like Jack Drury, but I spoke to someone in the Flyers front office last week, and they think very highly of Jack Drury. And then right under Jack Drury, you have a guy like Brian Suzuki, And the same guy I spoke to said, well, Ryan Suzuki probably has more skill, but he's a perimeter player, has some work to do. And he's not exactly a guy that would be sought after in a deal for a high-end rental, a.k.a. Claude Giroux. So, I mean, I think that it would kind of depend on Carolina's side of things if they would be willing to part with a guy like Jack Drury. And this is not to say that they wouldn't be able to do it. They just extended Cockney Emmy for eight years or at least have a deal in place to extend him for eight years. You've hitched your wagon to Sebastian Ajo as your onesie for the foreseeable future. Their captain, Jordan Stahl, is still kicking around. They have another kid playing on their roster right now who is a natural center, I believe, but he's playing wing. His name escapes me there. Uh, I would have to pull it up, but uh, I believe it starts with a Z, if I'm not mistaken. But he's also there. So I would assume that they would probably want to hang on to Drury, maybe to plug into the Vincent Trocheck role when he probably leaves this summer as a UFA. But they're a team to me that if they're willing to at least consider moving on from Jack Drury, they could outbid Florida, they could outbid the Rangers, and they could outbid uh, Colorado. Is it your sense that... Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers are more interested in a ready-made prospect over picks because, it, like you just mentioned, I think it's an important point that people don't consider sometimes. Like you go, like we just saw Hellison go off the board or Dennison go off the board. Uh, you, you see guys that get moved in prospects, and you have to look at the NHL organization too to go and see what how their puzzle fits together year to year if there's a hole for a guy. But if the guy's being blocked, like you mentioned, in Carolina, because you have Aho, you're going to sign Kakaniemi to that extension. So you go, okay, we're kind of set there. So I have this redundancy now in a really good prospect. It's time to use that redundancy as currency, not as something that's going to come up and help me because I can get more for now with the currency of the prospect than I can when he eventually does come up because he's not going to be a top, you know, one center or a one or two C because I'm already, I'm already locked in there. So when you look at is Chuck Moore looking for a ready-made prospect because like Colorado doesn't have a first round, Florida doesn't have a first round pick. You know, a lot of these teams don't. Yeah, that's my sense, and it's Seth Jarvis. That's the name I was thinking of. But mm. uh, I, I would assume so, right? Because we know they're not rebuilding. We know that they want to be a competitive team as early as next year. So let's say, for argument's sake, Carolina did have a first round pick, or Colorado did. You're going to get a first round pick in this year's draft in the twenties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how is that going to help you at all for next year or the year after, or maybe the year after that? Yeah. Like for me, if I had the choice between a first round pick and let's say a B level prospect 
or a ready-made prospect and a third-round pick, I'm taking the latter. And that's why I look at a team like Carolina because they have several center prospects that are scratching the surface on the NHL. Like I spoke to a source out in Carolina a few months ago and probably pumping their own tires there, which I understand. So take this for what it's worth. But he told me that they feel that Jack Drury could be a third line player on several NHL teams this year. But Carolina is just so deep down the middle and at forward as a whole that he can't even get into the NHL. And he's a guy that was kind of projected as more of a two-way guy, maybe with a 3C ceiling. But you see the points he's putting up in the AHL right now. I think he has like 40 points in 50 games in that range. And he's a guy that I think that if the Flyers were able to swing a deal and bring in a player like Jack Drury, maybe that helps you as early as next year or maybe in the back half of next year. And I think that's what the Flyers should be looking at more. Like, obviously, we've heard Owen Tippett's name thrown around a lot. He's Same more thing. on the side of a ready-made prospect. Yep. Like, he is a right wing, which is arguably the Flyers' deepest organizational position. And we know they need centers. Like, you have Sean Couturier. You have Kevin Hayes. Beyond that, it's anyone's guess. Like, Morgan Frost, maybe. But I don't know He's about you. Yeah, exactly. He's, He's more of a winger at this point. Yeah. You know, maybe Elliot Denoyer two years down the road, but I think he's a natural winger as well. And you look at their right wing, you know, you have Atkinson, you have Konechny, you have Wade Allison, you have Tyson Forster, you have Bobby Brink, like the list goes on and on and on. So for me, if they could get a ready-made prospect, preferably a center, that's the route I think they should go down. And I think that's the route they would prefer to go down. Yeah, and you have to be good up the middle or you're not going. To, I mean, it's the one thing about the Rangers that I don't like. Like yeah. they're just wing heavy. To me, you, to, the structure to building a, a team that can win in the playoffs is, you know, obviously good, great goaltending. You know, yeah. good and deep as you can get on the blue line. And you need to be big up the middle. You need to be good and big up the middle. You just have to be. And if you're not, I mean, eventually you got to transition Hayes into that 3C role. So you'd love to find a guy that can, you know, come in, maybe be a 3C and then elevate to be a legit 2C and drive that second line as well. Let's talk about that notion of rebuilding, tearing down, you know, building an NHL roster got really complicated after the lockout because the salary cap is now in play. And obviously we're dealing with a flat cap or maybe marginal uh, you know, the cap going up maybe a million, million and a half. Uh, and it makes it difficult because in the NHL, you you can't just buy contracts out and all of that stuff. And the notion of stripping it down, burning it to ash and rebuilding it is something that I've preached against because I, I just don't see many examples of that working. And And it's easy to say, tear it all the way down and rebuild it. But do you really have the stomach for it? Because it takes longer than you think. It does. And we also have to realize that they have kind of had their one foot in one foot out of a rebuild for what, eight years now, it seems since Ron working on. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of these fans and media members like ourselves, we've been in this kind of like rebuild ish type of mentality, save for 1920 for a long time, right? Uh, For a long time. And look, I definitely think there's a case to be made for a full rebuild. Um, Not so much for the talent on the roster, and you could probably speak to this better than me, but more so the culture Mm -hmm. because of some players that have just been here for so long now and have just experienced so much losing. And I'm not even talking about the Giroux and the Couturiers of the world. I'm talking more about like the Konechny's and the, the Sanheim's and the Provorov's and the Lawton's and even Oscar Lindblom to an extent. Like, are have they kind of been damaged by this losing culture? So I could see it from that point of view. But at the same time, if you look at the talent on this roster, I've said for a long time, and I'll stick to it, that a healthy Ryan Ellis, assuming that you still had Justin Braun on your roster, this was a, as deep a blue line as any in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But you remove a one slash a two off any team, and the whole thing's going to go out of whack. So I don't have a problem with their blue line, assuming that Ryan Ellis could stay healthy. That's the biggest assumption though, right? It is a huge assumption. So, but we know that they've hitched their wagon to Ryan Ellis. Like Dave Scott cited him as a core piece. 
So whether we like it or not, we just have to hope and pray that he's going to be able to stay healthy next year and beyond. Assuming that, you look up front, I think they need a high-end offensive player, and they desperately need a top-two center. So theoretically, you're only maybe three pieces away, but those are three major pieces. Like, where are you going to be able to find a top six centerman who kind of fits in the age bracket of Provorov and Hart and Sanheim and these younger guys. Is Forsberger a guy like that? Uh, I w- yeah, I would say so. Like he's a winger, but I think that Philip Forsberg is a he guy that high end top six talent. Exactly. Like Philip Forsberg, maybe you bring in a guy like Jack Drury and he hits his ceiling like these are the types of players that if you were able to bring them in, then you start to lay the groundwork for something more optimistic because now you have a guy like Forsberg who can theoretically pick up for the slack of Giroux and even a guy like Jake Voracek who have moved on. And I think Jake Voracek's offensive production, even though he did it more in the ways of assists, like his transition game was amazing. And I think they've missed that this year. Totally. So you, so you bring, Yeah, like he was a guy that was the only forward that could be counted upon to gain clean zone entries each and every time. What he did once the puck was too, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Once he did after it was set up, what he did afterwards was highly questionable. Yep, but he was able to get it into the offensive zone. So a guy like Philip Forsberg, to me, if he hits the open market, that's a guy you have to push for. Yeah, because he's a big guy, physical guy, plays his off wing he can kind of be that offensive catalyst. See, I look at I, I go, okay, I'll put Hayes as my second line center because I'm paying him that right now. And I try and find a guy like Drury or that I can put on that third line that even though Drury's offensive game may not be there right away, this isn't quite Couturier-esque, but is a guy that I know can play, can defend. So if I put him in that advantageous role to really kind of introduce him to the NHL on a third line as a center, and I have a winger on his line like Lawton or somebody else that can help in that regard as well. Now I go, okay, I have a Forsberg on my second line or my top line, or, or whether it's Forsberg, if it's Goudreau, it's a top line guy, you know, but I, I don't have a problem grabbing a winger provided I grab a guy that can be a three C, but eventually elevates and flips with Hayes to become the two C and Hayes becomes the three C. And you hit it and you hit the nail on the head there. That if you go out and you get a Goudreau or you go out and you get a Forsberg, but you don't address the 3C, all will be for naught. Yep. It'll all be for nothing. Yeah. Because we've seen this since Braden Chang got traded. Yep. They've been trying to do this makeshift BS on for the 3C or even the 2C with the likes of Filpula, with the likes of Vorobiev, with the likes of Patrick, Derek Grant, what have you. This needs to be resolved once and for all. And if it's not a guy like Jack Drury, then you have to go out and trade for a guy. Maybe you have to package Travis Konechny with some good level prospects, maybe draft picks, and go out and get a guy like, and I'm just shooting the shit here, like Pierre-Luc Dubois out in Winnipeg, an RFA to be. They're a team that if they miss the playoffs, maybe they're going to make some big changes. A guy that I highly doubt the Flyers will be able to pay the asking price for, but a guy like Dylan Larkin that I've been saying for a long time is available if the price is right. And Iserman said it, well, it was reported that Iserman said as much this week. Open for business. Open for business, except for Lucas Raymond and Mort Sider. Like if you cannot bring in a Jack Drury, which I mean, at this juncture, I wouldn't count on it. You have to be prepared to go out and get a Zubois, a Larkin, maybe to a lesser extent, like, I don't know if he's going to be available, like a Shifley, depending on what happens in Winnipeg. If he makes it to UFA status, a hurdle, although his age kind of scares me a bit. Mm, like 28, 29. Yeah, exactly. And then in two years, are you just going to have like three four, three centers on expensive deals on the back nines of their career? It seems redundant to me with those three guys, especially they're very similar. Exa- Exactly. And that that's why like a lot of people who wanted Phil Deno last offseason, that's exactly what I said. It was redundant. So, I mean, if it's not a young centerman like a Jack Drury, then it has to be like a Zubois or a Dylan Larkin, because like you said, you just absolutely need that guy that at the very least can eventually push Hayes down to three C. And and you can, like you said, use Konechny or 
a right winger because you have organizational depth there. They really like Tyson Forster as a guy on the right side and then also as a power play guy as well. Um, he's obviously been hurt this year with the shoulder injury, but I mean, watching the way he can he can shoot the puck and like, I mean, it's when you see the goalie not move and the puck's already by him, that's when you go, okay, that's a every every guy can shoot it at that level. But when you see that, you go, ooh, special. <laughs> yeah, and he's a guy that obviously dealing with some injuries this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if this time next year we're talking about him on the team. Yeah. If a guy like Wade Allison could stay healthy, and again, that isn't it's like a, it's a tough assumption at this point. He I think he's yeah, and I think he's an NHL player as of today. You have Cam Atkinson, who is going to be back next year. Zach McEwen, I think, is a guy who will be your fourth-line right-winger next year. You have a guy like Bobby Brink, who AGM Brent Flair spoke highly of, I believe it was on your podcast, mm -hmm. on Flyers Daily. Like That's why like a lot of people still like Travis Konechny. And I think that I'm – well, I'm perfectly fine with Konechny especially for the money he brings in, you know, five and a half million dollars for a guy who is pretty much a slam dunk to get you 50 points is perfectly okay. But he's a guy that's just become expendable because of his surroundings yeah. and a guy that would garner a lot of interest on the trade front. And I think what a lot of fans have a hard time with is grasping the fact that you can't trade garbage for gold. Yeah. Like, Who's ever playing the worst this year is who fans want to trade, which I understand. But like, oh, let's trade JVR one for one for Jeff Petrie. Not going to happen. Yeah. So there's a GM on the other side that's not a fool. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And we've seen it even with Ivan Provorov lately. Provorov's having a bad year or a bad 12 months. Oh, well, let's trade him for whatever it is. Well, yeah. someone's going to be licking their chops for him. So I mean, I think Konechny is a guy that if you... I think regardless, Konechny is a guy who won't be back this year because of the organizational depth and his salary. They'll have to allocate his money in the middle. And maybe they use Konechny as currency to get that centerman if it can't be had for a closure route trade. The one thing I threw out one in an episode of Flyers Daily, this was totally off the cuff, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. So Chuck Fletcher mentioned the term high-end talent. Danny Briere then mentioned it as well, that they need high-end talent. And if you take Giroux off this roster, you, you, look, you need a face for the marquee, a guy that puts butts in the seats and then makes them get out of their seats in celebration because they do, you know, things that wow you, like Zegers again, right? Yeah. Like, if I see that guy, I go, man, that guy plays an exciting brand of hockey. Is he perfect? No, but he he does some things on the ice, whether it's the Michigan, the flip over the net, or the play he had. Uh, last night you know just he's just an electric player and you need that so I go okay how do you get that well you got to find a team because teams that have those kind of players aren't looking to move them unless you have successive failure or and you have guys that are on the marquee in their in their spot already so I go okay once the Toronto Maple Leafs flame out again because they don't have the goaltending Jack Campbell and Prina Morazic ain't it. And they're a flawed team. Once they flame out in the first round again, they got to make a huge change. So I go, okay, who's the face of the organization? It's Austin Matthews and it's John Tavares. So Mitch Marner, there's my target, okay? I go, okay, how do I match the money? Ivan Proveroff and Travis Konechny, I match the money. And I probably got to throw a draft pick in there as well. And I get Mitchell Marner as a, the, uh, my high-end talent for the Philadelphia Flyers. It would make sense. Uh, I it's think green, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> like, look, like, obviously, like, I live up here in Canada. Like, Mitch Marner has been a very, what's the word I'm looking for? Polarizing player, to say the least, in Toronto mm -hmm. because he is a hometown kid. He had the holdout on his contract through training camp, as did William Nylander, but Marner got more of the money he was looking for, a shade under eleven million dollars. I think Marner is a fantastic player. He's high end talent. I've just I've always had a hard time committing that type of money to a winger, even though you can make the case that Marner kind of plays like a center, very good defensively, very good PK guy. It's just it's risky to me because I also say, what would he do without Austin Matthews? And I think Marner's a fantastic player. It's just, is he an eleven million dollar player? Yeah. And I don't think 
that Dubis and Shanahan are looking to trade um, Mitch Marner. I think for whatever reason, the guy that would go would be William Nylander. To be honest, them signing John Week. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, John Tavares signing there's fucked up everything for them. Yeah. That that's yeah. what really screwed everything down in Toronto or up in Toronto in your case. <laughs> and um I I just I wouldn't mind it. The problem I've had with trading Ivan Provorov has we've kind of talked about off air is where are you going to find a defenseman superior than Ivan Provorov? First you have to determine guys who are available. And the only guys that fall in that tier with Provrov who are available are Hampus Lindholm and Jacob Chikrin. I don't Lindholm's think it's going to cost you too much. Chikrin is the cap. hit's not huge. Yeah. Chikrin, I think would be an undeniable upgrade on Provrov just because he has a higher offensive ceiling, but they're not going to be looking to tr- make like a Provrov for Chikrin deal. Like you're going to have to trade a first round pick Cam York shit like that. So are you going to give up all those assets just to bring in Jacob Chikrin, who would be, I don't think a mega upgrade on Ivan Provorov, a slight no. upgrade. Hampus Lindholm is 28 years old. He's probably going to cost you 7 by 7.5, if not more than that. And I don't but think Lindholm... you're getting paid, Ant? That could be an eight and a half. Yeah. And, and the thing... And the, well, just look at Darnell Nurse if you want to exactly. fall off your chair. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think Nurse is that good of a defenseman, if you ask me. And he's not a right shot either, Darnell. Not a right shot. And I think that a guy like Ivan Provorov, one of the biggest pros about keeping him is his contract. Yep. Like he makes $6.75 million, which at this rate is kind of the going rate for a high end number two. And I think he is kind of like a high-end two, low-end one, depending who he's playing with. So, I mean, I'll kind of pitch it to you, man. Like, if you trade Ivan Provorov, are you not completely rolling the dice on your top pair, especially with the health uncertainty of Ryan Ellis? Oh, big time. And you have to have a legit top pair. They obviously don't without Ellis. And, you know, Braun stepping up or whoever, it, it it's going to be – not nearly what it can be with Provorov. You know, the thing with Provorov, like we've talked about this, you know, to me, the most incom- their most pressing matter in regard to him is getting him right. Because if you trade him, you want him right because his value goes up even more. And I totally agree with you. I think his contract makes him very attractive because it's when you see what all these deer getting paid and you have cost certainty with him, not only that, he's got reliability of availability. The guy answers yeah. the bell. He's missed two games for, because he was asymptomatic COVID since he entered the NHL. And availability on my top pair is also paramount. So, and if I fix him to up his value, why am I going to trade him? <laughs> well, know, it, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like if he's fixed and I got this tremendous value on a top pairing defenseman, now I'm not going to move him. That doesn't make any sense to move him. Well, because he's a guy that, let's say, just for argument's sake, you trade him to Los Angeles because their team really looking for a top pairing left shot to you to play with Drew Doughty, who's yeah. appra- approaching the twilight of his career. You put Ivan Provorov in L.A. beside Drew Doughty, and you're going to get a guy playing like he was in 1920. And there, even there's better. a lo- yeah. even better. And there's a long list of examples of defensemen the non-elite guys, so let's say you take out the Hedmans and the Yossis and the McAvoys and the Makars of the world, yeah. that just those low-end 1D, high-end 2D guys, they need partners to play with. Like, you look at a guy like Oliver Shillington out in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Calgary went out and got a young, uh, an older defenseman like Chris Tanev, who I thought would have been the perfect facsimile for Matt Niskanen. You look at a guy like... Um, Miro Heiskanen playing with Essa Lindell down in Dallas. Even a guy like Kale McCart playing with Devon Tays out in Colorado. Morgan Riley, who I think is a very good comparable to Provorov, not so much in playing style, but in terms of what tier they're in. He was an absolute fucking mess for a few years until they went out and got TJ Brody to come in and stabilize him. Yeah, I don't think it's a foreign concept for non-elite level top pairing D-men to just need a stabilizing force. And I love Justin Braun as much as the next guy. I think he's been the unsung hero with the Flyers for the better part of three years. But I think we could both agree he belongs nowhere near a top pair, and you can make the case nowhere near a top four. He's a one-dimensional guy who limits high-danger chances, and he's damn good at it. 
but he can't do much in the way of breaking the puck out, you know, zone exits, all that stuff. So when you have a guy like Ivan Provorov who has to do that repeatedly playing north of 25 minutes a night, he will break down eventually. And I think we both agreed that the first month of the season, he was playing excellent hockey. So even if you do want to trade Ivan Provorov because you like Sanheim or you think York could step into that role eventually or any intangible reasons in the locker room that you could speak to better than I, you have to get him right first because you can't sell him for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, that that's just being foolish. You know, you gotta you gotta it's gotta be about the long play and you know, selling a guy when his value is at its lowest point doesn't make much sense to me. Um let's talk about Ristaline in the contract. Uh he signs the new deal five point five times five. Um and he, or five point one times five. He's gonna be here. I know it's a polarizing signing as I've I, I think I've learned that on social media. Some people <laughs> like them and some people don't. Not many are ambivalent about Rasmus Ristolainen. What did you think of the extension? I thought it was very good if you had to get it done, which, you know, based on people I spoke to was always the goal here for Chuck Fletcher. You know, I think one part of that is because you paid a premium to get him, but I think the other part of that is is because they've had a revolving door on the right side of their defense for, what is it, 10 years now? You know, they kind of fixed that in the interim with Niskanen and Braun, but with Braun's slight regression over the last two years and Niskanen retiring, they had to redo it again last offseason. And now you have the health uncertainty to Ryan Ellis, and you could not afford to let Ristolainen go and not have a backup plan. No, if they were rebuilding and they had no, you know, ambition to compete next year, why not trade them, get those assets back, and then roll with Wyatt Wiley or free agent defenseman X next season. But the problem is, is they want to compete next year. And I'm not sure that you would have been able to find a better player than Rosmus Ristolainen to play that role in free agency. A lot of people point to John Klingberg, and to me, one part of that is, is I don't know how much better Klingberg is than Ristolainen at this stage in his career. And second of all, he's a guy that's probably going to get seven by seven on the open market yeah. because of his pedigree in the past. People talk about John Manson. John Manson probably in an ideal world is the perfect kind of guy you want in that role, but he's probably going to get over six million a year. He has struggled with health in recent years and his play has been declining because of his age. I think him and Klingberg are both three years older than Risto. And because of the style he plays, he started to break down a bit. Then you talk about the trade front. We heard rumors of Jeff Petrie, maybe, which were legitimate. The Flyers did check in on him. But are you going to bank on a 35-year-old Jeff Petrie making 6.7 or 6.25 for the next two years to be that guy? So I think when you take all this into consideration, along with the fact that Ristolainen plays that tough physical style that the Flyers really lacked and want to keep and have kind of garnered back with the players like him and McEwen, and how well he's worked with Travis Sanheim, Sanheim probably having his best year in the NHL beside Ristolainen, they've worked really good as a pair together. And I think out of all the things that have gone wrong for the Flyers this year, that is the one pairing or unit whatever phrase you want to use that has been the least of their worries i think it made sense to sign them but the dollar had to be right and i think five times 5.1 was a perfect cap dollar for what he is as a player and the market value for right shot defenseman who can play in your top four yeah, you surprised it was only five years uh, I, I was told that he wanted the five years so it was 32 when it's up and you can sign another contract at 32 and you get to you start seeing 33 34 that's when teams really get skittish about signing you to a new deal so i think that was strategic okay let me end this deal at 32 and i'll sign another three-year deal after that yeah well he's betting on himself right yeah and like obviously we heard the reports of six times 6.3 i checked in on that the week that that report came out i was told by someone in the flyers front office that that was absolutely false they would never go there I thought for a while it was going to be a six-year term at 5.5, a slight raise from what he was getting this year, which I think his AAV this year is maybe a touch of an overpayment. But I said, okay, right shot defenseman. You don't want to give the guy like a pay decrease. And six years mm-hmm. seems to go be good. seems to be the going rate for guys of that age. Yeah. But then you get him at five years for the reasons you just mentioned, which is a ballsy play by Ristolainen, but if it pays off, it's going to work in his favor. And $5.1 million, like, 
you're going to have to allocate that money, if not more, to someone else to play that role. Yeah. And based on the other guys available, I think you're going to have to pay more. Like maybe a Jan Ruda, but even him, like, is he going to be a top four guy away from Victor Hedman? You can make that case as well. I think they know what they had with Ristolainen. Sure, his analytics aren't great, but we know he like him and Travis Sanheim like playing playing together. They play well together. He pro he provides some physical intangibles, some toughness, which they really wanted to add last year, and they did with him. So, I mean, I think they probably just looked at their surroundings and said, "Are we going to get anything better in terms of contract value than Ristolainen?" And I could understand why they decided that that probably wasn't the case. Yeah. And to me, if you trade away some of the elements that he brings of physicality, you're looking for it again because you need it. And frankly, I think they need more of it, even with him um, up front, especially. Uh, let's talk to that last thing for you. Let's talk about the coach. Uh, Mike Yo has been the interim head coach since uh, AV got let go back in early December. I think we all agree that it's very unlikely damn near impossible that Mike Yo is going to be offered the position of head coach. There's just too much losing there. He's been in an impossible situation uh, since taking over really from the moment he took over really the second game of a back-to-back and second game of five and seven days when they took on Colorado that night. Yeah. Who makes sense for this team from a candidate standpoint moving forward? Is it a Tortorella because they're trying to recoil quickly? Is it a, a guy like Jim Montgomery? Is it Quinn? Who, who makes sense for this team? Like, uh, I personally, I've said for a while that I would like Paul Maurice because I think Paul Maurice is a guy that kind of straddles that line between a player's coach and a tough coach. Mm-hmm. I think that he's well-liked by his players. He was in Winnipeg for, what, eight years, and he stepped away on it of his own accord because he felt that he could no longer push that team any forward. I've always liked Paul Maurice. Obviously, he doesn't have a cup to his name yet. He only got as far as the Western Conference final with the Winnipeg Jets. But I think that was just, it's a flawedly built team. Like, there's a lot of flaws to that team. And, you know, you could make the case that, oh, he didn't coach them well defensively. But you also got coach of the year strengths. They were a high offensive team, high octane team with an elite level goaltender. So they played that way and banked on Connor Hellebuck being Connor Hellebuck. He's a guy to me that would make the most sense because they do want to compete. Does he Tortor- back in right away, though? Well, that's a good question. I think that the whole COVID restrictions, especially in Canada, which were much more severe and much longer than in uh, the U.S., really affected him. Maybe going down to a U.S. market six months later or eight months later after he walked away hoping, crossing our fingers, that COVID will be completely in the rearview mirror by this point, let's say in eight months from now or six months from now. So I think he's a guy that if he wants back in, and I can't imagine he's done. I think he's still a young guy. I don't think he's – I think he's in his early 50s or something, and he still wants to win a cup. You know, guys who don't – who haven't won a cup yet tend to go a bit longer. We saw it with AV. He came to Philadelphia and cited wanting to win a cup. So he would be my preferred candidate. Obviously, we've heard of guys like Jim Montgomery, who obviously lost his job in Dallas for reasons other than from what went on on the ice. Um, so maybe he would be a good um, a good candidate as well, Montreal native. So I would kind of be pulling for him in that regard. We both come from the same place. And I think he deserves another kick at the can would be a cool story as well. Tortorella for me, I mean... I think there's value to a guy like Torts, but I just don't think that this may be the team for him. This, if you're keeping together a good core of this of this group, they seem somewhat fragile. And you can maybe speak to that more than me, Jason, but I don't know how they would respond to a hard hitter like John Tortorella. Mm. Well, I mean, it's the one thing that we know is Torts holds the hammer and wields it he's a demanding head coach he burns hot but the thing about torts is this even though he burns at a very hot level all of his coaching stints with the exception of vancouver have been long tenures six or six plus years yep columbus six years you look at tampa seven rangers six and i mean for a guy that burns that hot to be so far beyond the you know average nhl head coach tenure is 
tells me something. A lot of the guys really like playing for him because what does he do? He makes himself the enemy. He makes himself the enemy in the media, and that takes it off the players. He he carries the bullseye. I think players appreciate that. Um, you know, and there's and, and Atkinson, I I know liked playing for him. He talked about it. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's some players here that he would really like, and I think there's some players here currently that he would beat his head into a wall with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he, I mean, every coach loves a guy like Couturier. You love that guy. Um, and a guy like Atkinson, who's a gamer, that a streaky scorer, that even when he's not scoring, he's not net negative, and he's a great penalty killer, right? So he likes those kind of guys. But there's some guys here that he would have some work cut out for him. But the other part of it, too, Ann, is, you know, he would make the – this shouldn't be a reason to hire a particular person, but it, it probably is because we have to consider everything. He makes the team matter in the pecking in the city just by his presence because he's such a big personality and he's got a, a pretty fat resume. And I think there's something to be said about that. Like, I found that the best part about the AV hire in 2019 is that you re-legitimize the team. Yeah, because with Hackstall and then the short stint of Scott Gordon, you had a team that just had kind of unknowns behind the bench. And that works if the team's winning. But if the team's not winning and just kind of in that middling position, no one really takes you seriously because you don't have that coach with the pedigree. When AV came in and you signed him to that big contract and he made the comment about winning a Stanley Cup, that automatically caught people's attention from around the league. Like even being up here in Canada, people were talking about the Flyers way more as soon as they brought in AV. And AV similar to John Tortorella, but before he got to Philadelphia, he had long tenures. You know, Vancouver was what, seven years? The Rangers, I believe, were five years. Like AV final with both. Got to the final with both, exactly. I think he wanted Jack Adams with, or was a finalist with another team. He was a final finalist, yeah. Yeah, was a finalist with the Flyers as well. So I think that Tortorella would be more on the AV side. And, you know, call me old school or whatever, old school rather, but I think that they need to go with a more veteran guy. Like David Quinn isn't someone who interests me a whole lot. Montgomery, maybe. You also have a guy like Travis Green, perhaps. But I think... Maurice or Tortorella, because you need to re-legitimize this team. This isn't a team that's rebuilding. I think you need a coach that has the pedigree to win now. Maybe Maurice is a bit more attractive for me because he can more straddle the line of getting through to his players in a different way than Tortorella. But I think either or would be my preferred choices because you can't just have another, and this is no disrespect to Green or Montgomery or Quinn, you can have like a no-name coach. You need someone to legitimize this team, to get people's attention, and to even show the players like, oh, damn, we're serious here. Yeah. And again, you could probably speak to this more than me, but when they brought in that coaching staff of 20, in 2019 of AV, of Michel Therrien, of Mike Yo, does that not also have an effect on the players that they see the management investing in such an experienced head coach? Yeah, it does. I say this all the time, Ant. You know, these the people that own professional sports teams in most leagues, except for baseball, they're constrained by a salary cap on players. You have this billion dollar organization, right? Why not? There's no cap on coaching. And it's such an important factor. Like, don't go cheap in coaching. That's where you can invest more. That's where you can give yourself an advantage as a big market team because there's no cap there. Put the best coaching staff for what you want to be. I think the team needs to figure out what they want to be. Yeah. To also figure out who the coach is. Like, what's the DNA? Because there was a there was a course correction from the Broad Street Bullies and that old Flyers mindset, but they cranked on the wheel too hard, and they became they used to be so physically difficult to play against. Now they're too easy to play against. The the rights the sweet spots in the middle. They got to find that in today's NHL. But to me, yeah, I mean, you look at it, you go. This is where we can make a difference. This is where we have an advantage because we can afford it. Let's get the right coaching staff in here. And whether it's Paul Maurice and we got to pay him a little more than we wanted to, then we got to do that because he's the right guy. You know, I got to get the right guy. I don't care. I don't, you know, people mention Tockett or whoever, former flyer. Like you don't hire anybody because they were former anything or how good they were as a player. You hire the guy 
for what he's going to be as the coach. And that's it. If it's the right coach, it's the right coach. Yeah. And I spoke to someone in the Flyers organization in December, which is when I was tipped off that they were going to stick with Mike Yo for the rest of the season. It was officially reported, I believe, in late January when they brought in John Torchetti. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was told that back in uh, December. And I brought up Rick Tockett specifically. And he told me, like, you know, Talk's a great guy, but what did he do in Arizona? And I think people get caught up in former flyer. He was great on the ice and he plays that up-tempo style. And it's just like, I think people got very sick of the way AV played, but I think AV was just trying to make with what he had here. I don't think they were there. I don't think they're defensively sound enough or offensively skilled enough to play that high wheeling uh, type of style. And I do think that Talkit is a guy that aside from his on ice, you know, play in the eighties and nineties, he doesn't exactly have that pedigree. And like Jason, I'll throw it to you here. Like, why do you think it's a slam dunk that this coaching staff will look very different next year? Well, I just think you, you can't sell it. You can't, you'll get killed for it. You can't sell it because there was no tangible change in result from when you made the change from AV to Mike Yo. And like Mike, I think Mike is doing some really good things. There's, you know, some, some usage things that I don't love. There's, some philosophical things that I don't love. But the one thing that I do love that he's doing is a, the way he communicates with the fans via the media, because I think it's really honest and transparent and look, you can't, you can't tell people something's good when they know it's not. Yeah. And I think what he's done is he's brought in like a big full length mirror and just kind of put it in front of everybody's face. Yeah. Uh, I've liked the way that Mike Yo handles the media. I've liked his approach and his candor at times. I'm not a huge fan of him as a head coach entirely, going back to his time in St. Louis and Minnesota, like coaching style, like you said, util- uh, utilization of certain players and all that. But I think it comes down to what you said, is that if not just for optics, you need to change this. Yeah, and win back more of the casual fan mm-hmm. and that's why i struggle with a hire like a david quinn or jim montgomery because it's excitable exactly and how are you going to sell that to people who are not diehard hockey fans who have tracked mm-hmm. these guys in markets outside of philadelphia and i think we saw that with dave haxtell like i think haxtell sou- got soured on very quickly here And I think he only lasted as long as he did in terms of good faith with the fans because of that, you know, miracle run the team went on in March 2015 during his first year or 2016, rather, because his first year was 15-16. But by 17-18, people were chanting in the Wells Fargo Center, fire Haxtell, because he was, again, no disrespect to him, but a nobody for a lot of casual fans. So I think that's why you would be, it would be more... I guess of a better road to go down with a guy like Maurice and a guy or like a guy like Tortorella that have those pedigrees to at least sell to casual fans or even more hardcore fans or media members like ourselves. Like, okay, we're invested in winning. That's why we're bringing in this guy. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, Tortorella. Oh boy. The, I just trying to think who would be his Larry Brooks in Philadelphia, but I guess it would be Carcitti. <laughs> <laughs> Some Sam and uh, torts battles would always be entertaining, but no doubt about it. And this was awesome. I really appreciate it. it took up a lot of your time, but uh, I appreciate it. That uh, read the stuff on the fourth period.com. Also a contributor on the brotherly pod podcast. What's the Twitter handle? Uh, it's at a DeMarco 25. Yeah. Follow there as well. And it always puts out great stuff. I, I appreciate this so much, man. Be well. Yeah, you too. Let's do it again soon. Time for another edition of Tones Takes here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And you see him right there. There he is. What's going on, Tone? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I got my uh, St. Patrick's Day attire on. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Happy St. Pa- <laughs> Luck of the Irish on the NHL card tonight? Hey, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, let's get right to the business. Let's get to uh, your number one play, and you're staying local tonight. Why travel when you don't have to? You got the Flyers on the money line, plus 150 in this game. Obviously, it's going to be an emotional game, slightly delayed start because of the ceremony. Uh, but you got uh, the Flyers stepping up for the captain, and what's a very big night for him. Yeah, I think the Flyers can catch the Preds here, uh, sleeping a little bit. Nashville's off two, uh, two big wins the past couple games. And, you know, when you're having a tough season, you have to look for things to kind of rally around and play for. And, you know, it could be Drew's last home game. I know they play at home on Sunday, but who knows if he's traded by then or may, he may even sit out if he's not traded by them uh, by then with the deadline being Monday. So at plus 150, the Flyers have actually been in home games recently. Um yeah. So, I mean, if you're more comfortable, maybe a plus one and a half, that could be an option. But at plus 150, I mean, I, I'll take a shot with the Flyers. And then a couple of leans on Giroux. I mean, plus 260 to score a goal. Uh, Oof, nice. Over over two and a half shots on goal is plus 110. And to score a point is minus 122. So, uh, I'm not playing those myself, at least not yet. Um, but that could be a decent lean for anyone out there. I mean, the plus 260 to score a goal, I mean, you know, could be his last game. Why not give that a shot, right? Yeah, he had a goal in the last home game against Montreal, as a matter of fact, too, in that feed from Morgan Frost right. and connecting. So, yep. um, and, and you know, he's a big moment guy, right? You remember the stadium series overtime, that moment, yeah, 2010, he gets the game four overtime winner against Chicago. He's Gordon on those big moments, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, definitely worth the flyer tonight, <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be a crazy night down there. I don't know, I, it's gonna, I know he's conflicted. And I know it's going to be emotional for him, but uh, it, he'll turn that emotion into um, competition. That's what he does in his compete level. Right. Uh, let's get yeah. to play number two, the team we saw the other day. That's Montreal. I mean, how about the, the Habitant all of a sudden under Marty St. Louis? And this team just looks totally different. And they just traded Ben Sherratt uh, down to Florida. Uh, but you got the, uh, the Habs here over two and a half at even money. Yeah, team total over two and a half. They've scored three goals in 13 of their last 14 games. Um, you know, St. Louis has done wonders with this offense. I mean, Cole Caulfield is a typical St. Louis player, like in the same size or whatnot. Like, he's, yeah. he's on a tear since that since that hire. I mean, defensively, they're still having their issues. But, I mean, to score three goals in this game at, at even money, I mean, Dallas, they give up 3.03 goals per game on the road. They're more of like a shutdown team at home. Uh, I can – definitely see this number uh there's they keep getting disrespected by the book so i mean i've i've ridden montreal a lot during this little stretch that they had i'm gonna keep doing it so plus uh over two and a half team total plus 100 yeah and no hudobin for dallas he's done for the mm -hmm. season so uh isn't that crazy to say tone like you find this this team that starts to get on a bit of a run they're not making a run to the playoffs but they mm -hmm. can make a run to your bank account and montreal's yeah, a team absolutely. that had eight wins like four weeks ago yeah, and how many times have we seen it doing in hockey? Yep. Like this time of the year, teams mm -hmm. are, have nothing to play for. They just go out and they just they just play hockey. You know, yep. we're seeing it with Arizona right now too. <laughs> how about them? They're like the nineteen eighties Oilers. That team, man, they can't be stopped. <laughs> they got they got Pittsburgh, I think, coming up uh, on Saturday. So we'll see what happens in that game. Maybe Pittsburgh can shut them down. Yeah, well, they got according <laughs> to some Flyer fans, they have Paul Coffey back there on the blue line and Ghost. <laughs> I mean, these people are beauties. Like I know, I know. <laughs> no, they got, they should have never traded ghosts and certainly not with a second and a seventh, blah, blah, blah. They put yeah. him on waivers. The guy yeah. can't defend at the NHL. Yeah, I'm, just I'm stop. Me. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> uh, uh, let's go to play number three, and we're going to stick with Le Habitant, and we're going with Nick Suzuki. He scored two goals against the Flyers, but you got him over two and a half shots on goal here at even money. Yeah, he's hit it in two of his last three outings, a uh, total 13 shots on goal and 21 attempts, so he's uh, starting to shoot the puck more. Dallas low susceptible to centers. They give up 10.76 shots on goal per game to centers on the road uh, at even money. And kind of going to ride the hot hand here uh, on the two and a half shots on goal for Suzuki. Um, the Washington Capitals uh, are a team that can put the puck in the net. And you're going to play an over here. It's warranted, but you're going to give up a little juice. Yeah, team total over three and a half, minus 135. I mean, since the Backstrom, Oshie, and Manta have been back, the Capitals' uh, offense is starting to click. Their their power play is starting to come to life. Uh, they scored four plus, at least four goals in five of their last six. Um, you know, Columbus has a hard time defending. They give up 3.57 goals at home. Uh, look, the, Columbus is, is trying to chase the Caps for that last spot. They're not going to get yeah. it. 
Uh, Cats can kind of put that to bed with a win tonight, I think. So I think Washington's going to be focused in this game. And Columbus was on the back-to-back last night to win against Ottawa. So I'm going to ride uh, ride a hot hand here with the Cats offense. All right, so we got four tones takes. We got You got the Flyers on the money line, plus 150 in Giroux's 1,000th game. Number two play is uh, the, the team total for Montreal over two and a half tonight at even money at plus 100. Nick Suzuki also in that game at over two and a half shots on goal, even money. And then your fourth play is the Caps team total over three and a half at minus 135. Great stuff as always. Tone, good job. You're on you're the absolute heater. I love it. Um, enjoy the weekend, Tone. Where can people get your stuff when, uh, when you're not on Stick to Hockey Live? On uh, Twitter at Tone's Takes and then daily articles for Dimers and Odd Checkers. So I appreciate it, Jason. Awesome. Thanks, Tone. Have a great weekend. Thank you, too. All right, there is Tone. Oh, we got to put our other thing back on. There we go. There is Tone's Takes on another edition of Park Sportsbook Presents. Oh, I did it. See, I did it again. I'm going to do it for a while. Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And uh, again, get the new app because it's simple to use, simple to navigate. The old app was good. This one's better. You know, like iPhone 1 was good. iPhone 13 is way better. Things get better. So check out Bet Parks. Check out the Bet Parks app. And you will not be disappointed. And you get all the uh, different uh, ways to get your action in on the games. Use Tones for bets as always. Always does a great job. And you can also uh, check out the money lines, the props, the parlays, the uh, individual player performances. It's all there for you. All easy to use on the Bet Parks app. So check it out. Download it on your phone, Bet Parks. And again, you get that risk free bet as well. And make sure you follow now Bet Parks on Twitter at Bet Parks, B E T P A R X, P A R X. Follow Bet Parks on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram as well. And you get great content, daily features, and much more. So, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We're back Monday. Have a great weekend and enjoy your hockey.